Hello and welcome to the Bible with Megan podcast. My name is Megan and here I talk about the Bible. There are two types of episode in this podcast. The first is where I look at wider themes about the Bible, within the Bible, questions about how we should study the Bible and how it relates to our world. The second type of episode are just Bible studies and each week I'll go chronologically through a book of the Bible. The Bible is such a beautiful book and such an incredible gift that we have been given by God and I just hope that in this podcast you will learn to love studying it even more and that it will strengthen your faith. So let's get on with today's episode. Hello, welcome back. It's Saturday. We are carrying on with the Revelation series and this week we are in chapter 8. We're doing pretty well, not too bad. Today we're going to be looking at the final seal that is opened and then we're going to be looking at the first four trumpets. So yeah, if you want to read along with me, it's Revelation chapter 8. I have the ESV translation, but whatever you've got is, is great if you want to follow along. I think this week we're just going to kind of go through it as we read. So I'll just read a verse and then give you a bit of a commentary on it. So the verse one just says, when the lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. So this is the final seal that is opened in the series of seal judgments that we've been through in the last couple of episodes. Um, And Jesus, the lamb opens the seal And at the end of all those judgments and after this interlude that we talked about last time with, uh, and sorry, about it's probably the time before last, about the 144,000 and the great multitude of people, after all of that, um, we hear all of that, it ends with silence. There are a few interpretations about what this means, um, but it does seem, doesn't it, when you read it, it's just such a simple sentence. It always seems like you're expected to know what that means in the way John writes it. And he's like, oh, there was silence in heaven. It's like you're meant to go, oh, yeah. But maybe you're feeling more like, sorry, what? (laughs) What does that mean? So I'm going to read you a section from a commentary on this, uh, which is called the Bible Background Commentary. Uh, It's published by IVP. And uh, it's written by Dr. Craig Keener, who I've, I've quoted many a time. And this commentary specifically focuses on uh, like historical, cultural context and biblical context, which lines up with what we've been doing in this series on Revelation in terms of just trying to really understand the text in the way that the original uh, hearers would have would have understood in the way that John's intending us to understand as he writes and then building our interpretation from there, from our thorough understanding of the text rather than starting an interpretation. Um so yeah, let's let's read what he says about this silence and he gives some sort of other um, Bible references it could be referring to. So Craig Keener writes, there is a number of possible ways to interpret silence here. In this context of worship and intercession in heaven, silence can mean a brief delay in God's reception of his people's prayers for vindication. See Psalm 50 verse 3, Psalm 21, Psalm 
83 verse 1. Or silencing heaven's praises to receive his people's prayers, as in some later Jewish texts, and see Revelation chapter 8 verse 4. Perhaps more likely, it could be a form of awed worship, as in Psalm 65 verse 1, or perhaps of fear, grief or shame, as with the muzzled mouths of the guilty, with nothing to say in their defence at the judgment. And for that he cites Habakkuk 2 verse 20, Zephaniah 1 verse 7, Zechariah 2 verse 13, Psalm 31, 17 and 18, Psalm 76, 8 to 10, Isaiah 23 verse 2, Isaiah 41 verse 1, and Isaiah 47 verse 5. So if you want to look them up, you can you can go back, pause, rewind, write them down as I say them there. Silence could also characterise the end of the present world to form a new world. And for that argument, he cites four Ezra and two Baruch, which um, are kind of Jewish texts. Um, or pseudo-philo, which is a Greek text, I think, in ancient literature. Yes, he says this is an, ancient, an idea in ancient literature, the forming of a new world. And then he says another thing in ancient literature, the end, it could be the end of a speech, conversation or announcement. That was also appropriate state of court to, uh, it was also the appropriate state of a court before the accuser began to speak. Okay, it's a bit difficult to read that out to you because there's so many little footnotes and things. But that's some different ideas about what the silence could be representing. Another view which isn't mentioned here is that perhaps it's some sort of liturgical silence. So it's a kind of a pause in this scene of worship that we see and then um, that might link in actually to the next few verses and what we see going on in the next few verses with the angels and the incense um i'm gonna have to apologize i realize i sound really nasal today um i've got a bit of a cold so please forgive me but let's look ahead to those verses so it's verse two then i saw seven angels who stand before god and seven trumpets were given to them and another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it onto the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. So what's going on there? Well, the reason some people think that perhaps the silence beforehand is more liturgical is because the imagery in this section and kind of what's going on with the incense and stuff is similar to um, some rituals that the Levitical priests would perform in silence um, in the Old Testament. So it could be that that's what's going on here, that there's a link to that sort of... Um, kind of priestly idea and a reference to the day of atonement which was kind of seen as a kind of a a place of reset and maybe that's linked here to the fact that god is resetting creation in a way in in these judgments being this sort of final um act before this new creation comes in so that there could be a link there that could be the sort of imagery that that john is using that he's seen in this vision that is linking back to those things of the old testament um obviously the the incense is people's prayers we know this because 
we've been told it before in the book of Revelation. Revelation 5 verse 8, which we did a while back, which is the vision of the throne room and the lamb opening the scroll. Um, which is So that's the beginning of the kind of just before the seal judgments. Uh, Revelation 5 verse 8 says, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each taking a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So we know that this incense represents the prayers of, of God's people. And if we weren't sure, it does tell us in this passage as well, doesn't it? He was given incense to offer with the prayers of the saints. Um, the smoke of the incense, which with the prayers of the saints, rose before God to the hand of the angel. So this is God hearing the prayers of his people. Perhaps this is the prayers of the people under the altar in chapter 6 where they say in verse 10 O sovereign lord holy and true how long before you were judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth that's their prayer to god and what happens here is god hears these prayers and then this uh thunder flashes of lightning earthquake is released on the earth which is kind of reminiscent of the scenes at sinai where god appears god is responding to these prayers by releasing this judgment um, that we are about to see in these trumpets. Now the main point about these trumpets is they might seem familiar because um, they are very reminiscent of the plagues found in Exodus, the plagues that God sends onto Egypt um, because Pharaoh won't let the Israelite people go. You will recognise a lot of the same imagery here and that's not by accident as we've said so many times, John has so many like hyperlinks back to the Old Testament. And this is one of them. Um, God's God's uh, judgment is being poured out into the people who disobey him. Um, but those who, who follow him are safe in that. It's the same kind of story as in Exodus there. The people who, who are persecuting his people are finally being brought to justice on it. Um, and that's what's happening here. But this is a final time, the final kind of justice bring, being brought on the earth. Um, so let's look at those verses. This is verse six. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first question might be, why is this angels? In the last set of judgments with the seals, it's the lamb that was opening them. Why is this angels? Um, well, angels are just kind of spiritual beings that do God's work. If you think back to the story in Exodus, it's the angel of death, isn't it, that is involved there in bringing some of those those plagues and judgments. Um, so it's just a similar idea probably here. There's some people that say they could be archangels. Uh, this is kind of a more in Jewish thought. They could link to the seven guardian angels of the churches in the opening passages. Maybe a couple ideas, but it seems to just be that they're just in their role as angels who are people who are not, not people spiritual beings who kind of do the work of god um so that's what they're doing let's move on to verse seven the first angel blew his trumpet and trumpets are a symbol of announcement as we've already said in this book we've already kind of talked about trumpets and stuff before so i won't go into much detail on that and there followed hail and fire mixed in with blood and these were thrown down upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. So there's a few things to look at here. Firstly, hail. Hail 
in the ancient world was an omen of judgment so it could be that 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 is being referred to here the people listening to this in the ancient world would automatically make that link and then you get the imagery which will remind you of the plagues in egypt about um blood um and then you get this thing about the third of the earth being burned up and a third of the trees um, and all the green grass so there's there's two things here I want to point out. Firstly, that these judgments seem to be linked with famine. Um, things that are used as resources for food are destroyed. I think the next question is why a third? That seems slightly odd. Um, there's quite a few Old Testament passages this could be relating to, but I want to focus on one, which is in Zechariah 13. So verses 8 and 9 say this, In the whole land, declares the Lord, two thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one third shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire and refine them, as one refined silver, and test them as gold is tested. And they will call upon my name, and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. So here we have this idea of a remnant being saved um, by God and maybe that is what is going on here in the trumpet judgments. The point being that these judgments are suffered by um, all people on the earth but, but those who are faithful to God are actually refined by the judgments. And those who are disobedient to God are the ones who are destroyed by them. So they can't stand them. Um, so that's just, just one interpretation of, of why these thirds are there. But wh however you read that, it's clear that God is holding back um, a level of this judgment in a way. They're kind of permitted, again, we talked about this language before, they're permitted to happen, There's, there's but they're, they're being held back, it's just a third you know, in the Exodus plagues, those are kind of designed for repentance as well. They're designed to make Pharaoh repent, and they're designed um, in order to bring about the liberation of the Israelites. So perhaps there's a similar idea here in these judgments that are so much echoing those plagues, in that God wants to still leave space for people to repent, for people to be set free. Um, before his new creation comes in in full. Let's look at the next section. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain, burning with fire, was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. So again, you've got the links to plagues and to famine. Um, the sea becoming blood will remind you of one of the plagues in Egypt where the water turns to blood. And then the famine links here, the, the living creatures in the sea die and the ships were destroyed. So that's the kind of fishing industries, isn't it, that are taking a hit here. A couple of other things I just want to point out in this one. Firstly, this fire imagery. Fire is associated also with famine because it will burn up crops and things. But also with judgment, uh, maybe for the same kind of reason. Um, but fire is associated with God's judgment. And so we, we see... Um, the fire is a fiery mountain isn't it a great mountain burning with fire thrown into the sea which is a weird image but mountains are quite often used to represent kingdoms in the bible uh, sometimes it's the kingdom of god and sometimes it's an earthly kingdom and here it seems like it's representing an earthly kingdom 
it's an earthly kingdom that is suffering famine maybe that is being um the judgment of god has come upon it and it's being thrown into the sea and then the sea becomes blood so it's this kind of idea that god's judgment is coming upon earthly kingdoms and i think this is this is really really important in how we read revelation because what do we see as the kind of enemy to god in revelation I think what makes a lot of sense is that it's trying to show us that God will bring his judgment upon the earthly systems that are trying to kind of mimic his good kingdom of God, but are doing it in an earthly, sinful and twisted way. So these earthly kingdoms that are represented by the mountains are are kind of thrown into the sea by God. These earthly systems that are corrupt and, and evil and and exploit people um that are so different to god's desire to be king the true king and, and live in a good righteous kingdom um those things are being destroyed in these judgments they can't they can't stand um and then in, in the next trumpet we'll see something else that's connected with this so let's read that now the third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. Okay, so again, quite a lot going on here. But to carry on from that point about the kingdoms of the world being brought into judgment, here we have a star falling from heaven that is also on fire. So let's carry over that idea about fire being judgment um stars in the ancient world were seen as spiritual beings you can imagine why can't you if you look up and see the stars in the sky you can imagine they were like the kind of hosts of heaven or whatever spiritual beings and this is saying that there's this great star that's falling from heaven to earth and is on fire it's having judgment put upon it well how does this link with the the kingdom well Another thing in the ancient world was that kingdoms would often have, like, kind of guardian angels. They'd believe they have guardian angels. They'd have specific spiritual beings that are watching over them. From a Christian perspective, we might see this as how... um, It's like in Ephesians where it tells us that our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities. And we might read this as being one of those principalities, one of those evil kind of spiritual beings behind the earthly structures of the world and we'll see more of this as we continue into revelation about how john is making that link that behind these evil structures in the world there is evil spiritual influence um and so here what seems to be happening is as the earthly kingdom comes under judgment and falls so does the connected spiritual um influence if that makes sense so i think that's what's going on here that seems to be a consistent reading with the biblical context and with the cultural context um so why is it called wormwood Uh, i remember when i was studying revelation a long time ago now when when i was at college um i was doing it as part of my a levels um i was about what about 16 or something and uh it wasn't a christian college it was just a secular college but we did revelation as part of as part of like re religious studies and philosophy and we looked at all the different interpretations of this passage and i remember hearing about all the different things people thought wormwood was like 
Some people thought it was Chernobyl, the nuclear explosion, um, that then, of course, poisoned water. So you can see the connections there. But but I guess this, this is just bringing it back to how I want to do this study, because it can be quite um, addictive to get into those sorts of interpretations that try and decode Revelation. And I know at that point I, I was super, you know, I had a good lot of fun Googling and YouTubing all these different interpretations of Wormwood. Uh, <laughs> but we need to start with, okay, what's the biblical context? What is the context that that, that John in his vision um, was speaking into? And then go from there. So what is wormwood first of all it it isn't just a name it's a plant uh, it's a plant that's very bitter it's used in some medicines but it's known for being bitter that's his main thing is it's really bitter um this is capitalized here in my translation the star is wormwood like a name and then it says a third of the waters become wormwood so the star drops into the waters and then makes the waters bitter so, so if we're taking that spiritual being reading, the spiritual being is caught in judgment, drops into the waters of the world, and because of its influence, the other things also suffer that same judgment and bitterness. I guess, you know, does, does that make sense? Do you see how I'm pulling that parallel across? If you look up the word wormwood in the concordance, which I talked about last week and how to use concordance, if you want to go back and, and check that out. But if you look up the word wormwood, you'll see that um, that idea of bitterness is tied into it. And it's an idea that bitterness and judgment come together. So let's look at uh, particularly, there's a few verses that that's in, but um, let's look at Jeremiah 9 verse 15. That reads, therefore says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will feed this people with bitter food and give them poisonous water to drink. And this is talking about people who, it says in the verse before, those who have forsaken God's law that he set before them and have not obeyed his voice. And so that seems to be the kind of link here. This idea of the waters being made bitter is linking back again to God's judgment coming in. And those who haven't obeyed him, who haven't followed him, um, really feel this judgment. They are being fed that bitter, that bitterness, the poisonous water, um, because they have been walking in a way other to God's way, which seems to be influenced not only by the things of the world, but also by this the spiritual aspect of evil and the spiritual aspect of the fall and how that influences the world and why it needs recreating. You know, the judgment on sin affects creation just as much as it does humans um we hear about that in romans 8 don't we and so what we see here is is god's judgment coming is affecting all areas that are part of evil part of that sort of anti-god's goodness anti-god's plan for creation um that involves people who are in sin it involves creation that is fallen and it involves the spiritual beings who have rebelled against God as well. So all of these things are being judged and the only ones that can survive that judgment are the ones who are living in righteousness and in following God and that means in following Jesus. Those who believe and are following Jesus faithfully and with patient endurance 
There's that phrase coming up again. So let's finish up by looking at the last few verses here, the fourth trumpet. The fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of their light might be darkened and a third of the day might be kept from shining and likewise a third of the night. So this darkness comes now, darkness comes over the world and uh, we've already talked about the kind of the thirds idea but the rest of this trumpet reminds me of the creation narrative doesn't it you as you hear it the way that god made these things and so i think it's probably trying to tell us about that sort of anti-creation how how before the new creation comes in god's god's judgment is coming upon these things that aren't of his creation that are twisted um and so it's saying that before the new creation comes there must be a sort of aspect of decreation and that's kind of what god's judgment is partly about it's about morality but it's also about um taking the evil out separating the good from the evil so then just good will remain um so i think that's what's going on here with this darkness coming in the fact that that this stuff must be decreated before it can be recreated into the new heavens and the new earth so the last verse in this section um is sort of a little interlude before the next trumpet and it says and then i looked and i heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead woe 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 to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow and so this is john who's seeing this this angel in his vision He's looking up and seeing this angel and this angel sort of announcing the next section of trumpets that's about to happen. And he's saying, woe to those who dwell on earth. And um, we'll see um, in chapter nine that these woes come up again. Um, the three woes, these are referring to things and we'll see that come up in the next chapter. But it's to those who dwell on earth. The people um, and the creation and the kind of kingdoms and earthly structures, all these things we just talked about in the last few trumpets as we looked into those. So why is it an eagle and why is it flying? Um, Let's look at those two things briefly before we finish. The eagle in the kind of Roman context that that this is being spoken into was seen as a messenger figure, um, quite often for Zeus. And so it might be that John in well when i say john i mean john in sort of the way he's telling about his vision you know but um yeah the point might be that it's taking a stab at zeus it's kind of kind of satirical in a way in saying oh you think the eagle's a messenger for zeus that he is this great god but no the eagle here is a messenger for our god who is the greatest god and the only god um, there's a lot of that in here when you see references to Roman culture it's usually sort of undermining it and saying actually no our god is the true one um, and this is his messenger this is an eagle coming and he's talking his message um, and it flies directly overhead now the actual phrase here is sometimes also interpreted as it flies in the mid heavens um, in mid heaven which is an interesting phrase um so why do i bring that up well by first century pagans zeus's throne would be considered to be in the mid heaven that's that's one thing um so maybe that's what it's about again is it saying that actually no you might think this is zeus who brings this but it's not it's our god the true god 
also it's um could be a sort of old testament link to uh kind of the area that god rules like literally mid heaven being the center of heaven the area that um that god rules and that god is in the center of it. and these are kind of jewish ideas and i'm going to link you to the michael heiser podcast on this section which is again as i always say is very in depth um but that goes into that more if you're particularly interested in that and kind of the jewish thoughts going on there um as well as the ancient thoughts we will move on with the trumpets next week and i realized that was a bit of a a run through but i hope it just kind of tackled some of the main points in this section that might come up um as you read it and wonder how to interpret and it just gives you a little bit of context on them um to help you interpret them well and next time we'll be we'll be moving on to the other trumpets and we'll see how those things pan out so thank you again for joining me on that whistle stop tour through chapter eight and um I'll see you next time. Hopefully I'll have less of a cold and my voice will be a little bit more pleasant to listen to. God bless you guys. Thank you so, so much for joining me for today's podcast. If you have five minutes to leave a review of this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on, that would be really, really helpful. And it would help more people like us who might enjoy studying the Bible to find the podcast and to join us in our journey. If you'd like to support me in making this podcast financially, you can use the buy me a coffee link that is in the show notes to just donate a little bit towards making these resources. You can also follow me over on Instagram at Bible with Megan or on Word, where I update everything that's going on and have content on there as well. So I really look forward to seeing you next time for the next episode of the Bible with Megan podcast.